Once you have a, a, a string that is tied in three knots, that doesn't become unraveled too easily. And that's the idea of a chazoka, and which is really a very important principle, that uh, once something is established, we assume that's the way it is. So hopefully this is a good sign for us. Um, now I wanted to do something a little bit... Yeah, you can, okay, hi everybody. I, I, I want, you, got, you can come sit a little closer, it's all right. Um, I wanted to do something a little bit different, um, and I hope that you're going to find it interesting. And perhaps a look behind the curtain and uh, an area that many people are somewhat perplexed by, even to the point of being antagonistic towards without really knowing what it is. And that is the way what are the principles really of a, of a case of a dintora? Uh, one of the things that I've had the schus, uh to be involved in over the years is, is, uh, is adjudicating and being a dayan in cases, mostly about choshen mishpat, cases of damages, cases where one party is suing another party. And it's obviously one of the very first mitzvot that were given after Matan Torah is is that there we do have a court system and we do have a way to figure out and provide proper justice uh, now all justice has an element of compromise and you can't prove from one case towards another you, you, can, you can definitely use it as precedent but obviously every case is different and has its own specific, unique life. However, one of the things that we daven for, Shmon Esrei, and we probably daven for it almost in the most intense way. You look through the davening in Shmon Esrei, it's beautiful language, but there's very little pleading, there's very little pleading with God and begging. Um, even when we speak about our Averot, or we speak about our Refuot, right? Refainu, we know you can do it. Um, we know that you do want to give us Refuot. We know that you do want to give us Mechila. You want to give us expiation from our sins. But when it comes to uh, Dionis, when it comes to Mishpat, we say, V'chaser mimenu yogon v'anocha. Take away from us this this anguish and, and and this pain that we're in. Bring back a proper justice system. So, despite everything that's in Shmonestre that's so powerful, the only place we speak about the fact that we're in pain in the actual text, yogon, is a, a sense of anguish, is the fact that we don't have our mishpat system. We want the shoftenu kaverishon. We like to be governed based on the din the din of the Torah. Yes, perfect. Sorry, can we also do the, the shir in um, America for Shalima for uh, Sarah uh, Shulamis? Okay, right. She's so, had an open heart surgery today. Okay, right? so, so I, I, I again, I should mention, as we put in the email, that the shir is dedicated to uh, Yitzchak, uh, um, did I get it right? Yitzchak ben Barrow, right? And his yard site is, I believe, Shabbos. And also another yard site as well, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. 
Chava Basley. That's another. Also, Gimel Tamuz. And also, it should be a solicitor for Shlema for someone who's having his, Brooks says, someone who's having open heart surgery today. And again, it's interesting, the Gemara Bavakama says that if you want to be a chassid, if you want to be someone who is actually careful and going beyond and, and being punctilious and, and meticulous in your observance, the Gemara says, Lakayim Mile Venezik. Know about the laws of people's uh, property and how to deal with that and how to be sensitive to the damages against people's property. That's the way if you learn those laws and you fulfill them, then you really don't take shortcuts and you're extremely... That's considered the way to be a chosid. Right? There's other Gemara says, another thing to, to keep, to do the laws of brachas properly. One of the ways to be a chosid is actually to know about this. So it isn't just you know, tort law and legalese. It really is, in a way, an understanding of another person's boundaries and what our responsibilities are to other people. And you end up really, hopefully, becoming uh, changed by seeing exactly how uh, a case would work. And I hope that that will be the case here. Again, I'm sorry for using that term twice in a row. But as you can see, here's a specific case. I don't know if this case ever came uh, to Din, but I thought it was interesting, especially as many of us are probably attending weddings or uh, involved in weddings up to the next couple of weeks till Shavasa Batamas. Here was the case. If you can see up on the board, I don't know if we should shut the lights. Is it better if we shut the lights for some for clarity on the board? Simo, you can see all right? Um, Tamara, you can see okay? Yeah, good. All right. Zelda, you can see okay? All right, so here was the case. Arav Ruvain. And that's obviously not his name, but it, it did happen, this event. Sidr Kedushin Bechuposam Shal Hazug. Right? Sidr Kedushin Bechuposam Shal Hazug Koyim. Right? So there was a, 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 a Cohen family, and the Sadr Kedushin was Ruvain. Let's call him Reb Ruvain. Let's give him a last name, too. So this goes when you get back to him, okay? So, Reb Ruvain Kaminitz. Um, Not Kaminitz, give Reb Ruvain Kaminitz. So, Reb Ruvain Kaminitz is the Masader Kedushin for this family. Now, the chuppah went on. Something happened. Um, the couple didn't realize until they all danced into the Yichud room and the couple then realized that on the Kala's beautiful wedding dress, there was a stain. Now you might have seen the, the title for the shear, as I said, was um, Out, not Mazel Spot Out, if you remember from Macbeth, that that was the idea there. So they found a stain on the Kala's dress, which clearly was a wine stain that came from the Masada Kedushan. The person, who, the rabbi, the officiator, the person who was standing there holding the cup, no one realized it, but clearly something occurred. Something occurred that caused that cup of wine, the wine to spill out of that cup, and land in an obvious spot 
at least for the at least as far as the kava was concerned, on her dress. And they said, We can't leave the Yikharu. <laughs> How is she supposed to go out? This is such a stain, it's embarrassing for her. Everybody will see this stain on the dress. So in the Yichud room, what did they decide to do? His minu ba'ofen miyuchad menakem umchaylulam. Now I'm not sure if you can get this in America, but it seems like in Eretz Yisrael, around the Bnei Brak area where this occurred, they were able to get a a, a, a spot remover cleaning fellow who came specifically, and he had to come. Of course, it's one thing when you drop the thing off and you can get it done in the factory or wherever they send it out to. Something when you have to have the person drive out to the hall and come with his material and be able to uh, work on the dress. <laughs> so, probably they spent more time in the Yichud room than usual. And they weren't just in, you know, having some a meal and, and getting to know each other, but there was actually a third party there I the cleaning guy, and the cleaning guy was there working on it till he was able, with all his, his magic uh, solvents, he was able to clean the dress. And of course, guy comes out in an emergency situation, you got to pay him. So I'm assuming, again, I, I don't think I'm wrong here, such a call would probably be about a thousand shekel. That's what I'm assuming. A thousand shekel is about $250. I would assume that's probably what it would cost uh, in this case. I think that's not unrealistic, even for Eretz Yisrael standards. Do you agree? Have somebody come out, especially drive out to the hall with the truck and, and work on it and, 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 and get this object clean. So now, when it became known that this is what occurred, I don't believe that there was an actual Din Torah where they wanted to take the rabbi to Din. But I think the rabbi himself and the Talmud HaKhamim around in the hall when they heard about this, they were wondering, well, who's to pay for that cost? Maybe the rabbi is the is a guilty party here. And he's not a bad person, but maybe he should be responsible to pay. Now, if they want to, you know, uh, perhaps they can they can be mochalim. But is there a debt on the rabbi to pay? We know that there's, that there's a debt to pay, even if somebody doesn't demand that debt, there's a din in Shemayim to go and pay that. If you owed something and the person says, nah, you know what, you should make, do your utmost to pay that. Does the rabbi have a responsibility to pay? Anyway, I, I saw this question a couple of days ago, and I thought, to me, it piqued my interest. Um, and uh, let's, before we start, I, I told my wife I was going to talk about this, and she had her opinion right away. If she was the dying, she had her opinion. Let's let's take a, a sampling here of our of our. Uh, I'm going to turn you all into Dayanim for a couple of seconds. Okay, Simba, what do you think? Do you think the rabbi, in, in your from your way of looking at things, is the rabbi, you know, is considering that, you know, he seems to be the proximate cause? Do you think the rabbi should be paying? Uh, that cost, that a thousand shekel cost, the two hundred fifty dollar cost. What do you think? Uh, no. You don't think you should pay? No. I don't think it's on him necessarily. It's very hard to know. People pass the cup to the column. The mother gives it to the column. You're saying okay. I hear what you're saying. Okay, so you're saying like this that if we could go on the video and go back, 
right? No, seriously. That's right. There probably is a videographer. If we could go to the videographer and find the moment when it occurs and pinpoint the person, and, and let's say we could, then Rabbi Ruvain Kamenitz would have to pay, right? The reason why you're the reason why you're letting the rabbi off the hook, even in Shamayim, is because it's not clear that he was the one who did it. But if we could determine he's the one who the cup, the wine spilled from, then he would be the guilty party. He would really have to pay, if, and he could maybe be taken to Bezdin to pay for it. I'm not saying they would, but again, considering the fact that even if they don't take that route, there's a moral responsibility in Shemayim to do something. Then be, okay, so Sim is basically saying that if you could determine who it is, just that at a wedding it's pretty hard. Tamar, what do you think? It was proven that the wine spilled from him, then that was something that um, that we could probably he would be the proximate cause. Okay, Brooke, what do you say? Does a rabbi get compensated for Ah, good question. Very good question. What, in other words, is there a difference between someone who's paid to do a job and someone who's coming in as a favor? Well, we know. So, but to give, to give. Oh, come on, come on. Don't go away. Don't go away. Okay. So, to uh, to give a little bit of background, you probably whether you studied with your children, or you heard about it before, if you studied it yourself. I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to make assumptions about about things, but perhaps you've heard, of course, about the, the laws of the different types of shomrim, right? Shomer chinam, shomer sochar, right? You've heard about the, the idea. It's in Parshas Mishpatim, right after the, one of the psukim that I mentioned about Eil Mishpatim Asherotosim Lifneim. The Torah talks about responsibilities, right? And, and Art Scroll has a way of translating it as a bailey, right? Which, again, Art, Art Scroll is, is, is going to go down in history for resuscitating a lot of uh, obsolete words and making sure that they remain part of of, 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 of our language. But a shomer, of course, is, is somebody who's been given something uh, to take care of, right? And we know that there's a difference in responsibility between what's called a shomer chinam, a person who's not paid, Right, happens all the time. In fact, right? You watch my stuff here for a minute. Like, gotta, I, I want to go down to the coffee shop over down here, and uh, can you watch my bag? Right? Okay, you can leave it here. Right? If you nod and ascend, you're, you're a shomer chinam, right? Because you agree, and that agreement makes you responsible up to a certain point. So let's say you do that, and then all of a sudden you take a cell call, and you're walking around and arguing back and forth. And meanwhile, some nice uh, thief walks right by and says, that bag looks good, I'm taking it. And then the first guy comes back from the coffee shop and says, where's my bag? Oh, bag? Oh, you know, I got a call and I, and I got I just got confused about it. I, just, I was so angry about this thing because I was getting these bills. And yeah, but where's my bag? I told you I'd be back in a couple minutes. So there, even though you didn't pay him anything, there's a level of responsibility because the Shomer Chinam was what we call in, in Talmudic language, we call him, he's a posheya. He's a person who's been negligent, right? He's a negligent person. Now, there's another thing. If the Shomer Chinam, um, you know, uh, brings it, the guy says, look, uh, go get your coffee. I'll take this up to my, uh, to my office. You come pick it up in an hour. So the guy takes it up to his office and he actually has his key and he locks the door. And then he goes out to a meeting. When this, when he comes back from the meeting,
investigating, he sees that his office has been broken into and the bag is gone. So in that situation, obviously, this fellow who said he would watch the bag is not chayev. That's called a shomer chinam. A shomer chinam is only chayev on negligence. He didn't have to put a double lock on. He didn't have to worry about somebody who could break into a break into an office. That's a shomer chinam is, is patur on geneva. So even though geneva is somebody else getting involved, everybody with me here, right? Someone else is getting involved. But a Shomer Chinam doesn't have the responsibility. Look, I didn't, you, I said I would watch it, but come on. You want me to, you know, to do a super job? You didn't give me any money. Now, let's say the person pays you. Now, I want to tell you, <laughs> I'm putting this on, on record here. Uh, we're, we're going away, uh, for, uh, for Shabbos. So, um, my daughter, uh, again, we'll talk about this in a second, if this is real or Shomer Sacher or not. My daughter has, uh, my wife's very allergic to animals. So my daughter did some research, my 22-year-old, and she came up with a type of creature that is not too allergenic. It's called a sugar glider. They, they're native to um, New Zealand and Australia. They're marsupials. And they sort of look like flying squirrels. So she's got two of them, Balto and Sheremy, a, a couple. And she had them flown in from Houston, uh, it was a place where she did a lot of research that they treated them nicely. There's a place here in Jersey, but she heard it. She had bad reviews about it. She's very concerned about her animals, and she loves these animals. They came a couple months ago. They came in on a special flight. We paid extra money so they shouldn't come in on Shabbos because the normal flights come in on Shabbos, and we, we paid an extra ticket. I don't know if we got any uh, mileage miles out of it, but they came in, and now they're really part of the household, and she loves them and she carries them with her and they're all, they're nocturnal and many times, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there at, at night and I say, Bachi, do you, you have Balto with you, right? Do you have Sherry with you? And I see something like crawling up her, right? Because they come out because when they, when they, when they, when they, when they smell a blueberry or a piece of cantaloupe, they come out, they get it. And they're very cute. But we're going away. I got a picture of it. I'll put it up on the board. I'm very later. curious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I will, I'll show you later. So, what am I saying? Why am I telling you this interesting story about my daughter's sugar gliders? We're going away. And we're going away, and we can't take them with us. We're not going to take them to the place where we're staying. We're not going to take them, right? Because, you know, somebody has to come into the house to feed them. They have to be fed food every night. My daughter built a huge cage for them. It's almost as big as some apartments in Manhattan. A huge cage with a lot of toys and stuff. And she's going to come in there and, and she comes in and, and when she's not home, of course, we feed them. But she's paying somebody to come in and feed them. She's paying someone in the neighborhood to come in to feed them once a day. They're coming in. I asked my wife last night, okay, how much is Mrs. X pay getting for it? $35. I said, $35? She's coming in for five minutes into the house and she's taking a piece of food out of the freezer, whatever it is, and putting it on a plate? $35? She said, but she wanted to make sure that uh, she got somebody. I said, look, we, maybe we should get some money when she goes away, right, for, for, for feeding these animals. The point is, Mrs. X is getting paid. Mrs. X, in a sense, will see what type of responsibility she has. But clearly... If she's paid to feed them and they escape or something like that, right? 
I could maybe blame Mrs. X, right, for not, right? And even if, right, even when she comes into the house, you know, she doesn't lock the door properly and somebody can break in, or even if she did lock the door, it's possible that I could get her on a greater responsibility. So Mrs. X, or our case of the person on the street, the guy says, I don't want to watch your bag. Take some money. Okay, I'll give you 10 bucks, because I got to go to, I'll be back. Once you take money for something, you have a greater responsibility. So that's called a Shomer Socher, right? So let's just review. A Shomer Kingdom has a certain responsibility. Shomer Socher has much more. He's, he's high if he's responsible for any sort of theft, uh, unless, again, we'll see w- what the level of theft is. Like Tom Cruise coming in, you know, on a, on a wire, you know, coming in from, from the, from a plane in the sky, that he's maybe not high for, right? Uh, a mission impossible. He's not high for that. But a normal type of thievery, he would be responsible, and I could call, I could ask the Shomer to to uh, reimburse me. Now, what's interesting is, and maybe Brooke, this is what you were asking, that we don't say it's commensurate with the amount of payment. Mrs. X is getting 35 bucks, but even if she was getting $10, in, in Jewish law, we don't differentiate the amount of money you're getting. Because otherwise... Then it's a total disarray. You can't say, "Well, if you were paid this amount, this is the this is what's the amount of uh, watching you have to provide." If you're getting paid, here it is. If you're not getting paid, so now does everybody understand the significance of Brooks' question a couple of minutes ago? Was the rabbi a paid rabbi to come? If he was getting paid, then he has greater responsibility. Brooke, yes. Can I ask another question on a little bit of a tangent? Okay. Okay, okay, but does everybody hear? So one of the things we have to determine is, is the, if if the rabbi is the cause of the spill, does the rabbi have to pay? And B, should we do some research to far or let's say the rabbi, let's 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 assume Rabbi Kamenetz is going at 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 you know at the wedding or beforehand, um, uh, Mr. Cohen uh, gives him a big hug and slips him an envelope. Right, which is what the payment for being the guy person who officiated the wedding. So, and 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 the rabbi, Rabbi Kamenitz, expected that. So, if Rabbi Kamenitz was paid. So maybe now that we've determined it, <laughs> they can maybe deduct it from his payment or send him a bill, or maybe that's what he should give. Okay, so go ahead, Brooke. What was Another question. Good. If you don't mind, a little bit on a tangent. So I'm just curious. So this person is coming into your house, and let's say that those animals don't get lost, but let's say that she accidentally leaves the door open, and it has nothing to do with what she's paid for. Good. But let's say burglars come in and end up stealing something, right. but it has nothing to do with what right. she's paid for. Right. So that's really one. That's also the heart of this question as well. That's actually not on a tangent, because clearly, you know, when we talk about um, the rabbi in this case, um, you know the. Well, it's it's definitely again. What is the level when you there's there's watch my watch my animal, watch my bag, or you're the maid here, you're the house sitter, right? In other words, your responsibility is is is, is global, not necessarily to watch something specific. That's one question. Brooks' question is: I paid you to do this, not necessarily to be involved in that. So there's three cases. One case is, I pay you to watch my bag and my bag gets stolen. Since I paid you, I gotta pay. I owe you. The second case is, I paid you to be in my house. I paid you to come 
and like make sure everything's okay in the house. I didn't give you a specific area to look at, but I paid you to, to look around. Or you're the maid, right? When we go out of town, the maid is the one who's responsible for stuff in the house. How about if things break? Or a shamus in a shul, right? A person who's a shamus, he's, he's paid. He's not, he doesn't have a specific thing to watch the Sefer Torah or to watch the Tzedakah box. He's just supposed to basically watch the shul in general. And something happens to something specific, but he's a paid person. The third case is what Brooke is saying, is that maybe the, when you pay someone to do A, are they responsible for damages to B? Which happen to be in the same area. Let's talk about our rabbi for a second in, in light of this. So our rabbi was paid to run the show, to get the names on the ksuva right, to be able to stand there and do a good job and hold the cup properly, right? Wasn't that part of the thing, is to get the, the kedushin done? So here would be the question, is the payment that he got makes him responsible uh, for even the fact that, let's say the video shows that he was jostled. Let's say in the video we find out he's holding the cup, but there's so many people under under the chuppah, right? So stop the stop the video right there. What do you see? Oh, I see this guy's elbow is pushing him, right? There's a guy pushing him. So the rabbi is, is don't you see that, how the rabbi's for it? Oh, slow-mo, here comes the drip coming out. Could be possible, right? It could be he was pushed. Now, that could also be a difference, right? How? What is the level of the rabbi's responsibility? Is he responsible? Right? Is this considered a, a, a negligence? Right? Clearly, I would say, you know, cups, wine spilling out of cup is not like the guy who, t- who takes the cell phone call and and, and and doesn't and ignores. It's probably close to being something like an accident, right? Are you responsible for accidents? Even if you're paid, as you know, a shomer socher, a person who's paid, is not responsible for the guy who comes in like like, like, like a Mission Impossible agent to steal something or some other sort of accident, right? Let's say I keep you in charge of the house and a natural occurrence, right? Something happens outside, Hurricane Sandy, and something happens, the windows break. Are you going to find that person because they were supposed to watch your stuff? Clearly, accidents should be beyond the realm. And if can we determine that the person's, when, it, when a person is pushed by someone under the chuppah, would you call that an accident? What do you guys think, right? Sounds, right? He was holding the cup. It's not like he said, I don't care, right? It's not like he's holding the cup and saying, mazel tov, mazel tov, and like swimming, swinging the cup around. He's holding the cup properly, but we can see that somebody pushed him and therefore some of the drops came out. So, if let's say Rabbi Kamenitz is paid, but maybe is this beyond? All right. Um, yeah, go ahead. You keep you, your grandfather and, and great grandmother are, are very very proud, Brooke. They're very proud. Okay, so right. I haven't been. Well, I've been under a number of chuppas. I, I, no one uses red wine. Is it because of that? Yes. It's because of that. You see, you guys taught me something. Yeah. I mean, I'm uh-huh. uh-huh. 
Uh, I see. Okay, you know what? I didn't even. I, I, this this is a lack of preparation on my part. I didn't realize that it was considered uh, out of bounds, then considered unusual to use red wine. Some oh, probably use it to be because it's right to use red wine, and let's assume that was the case, right. or maybe again we we. we can, yeah, yeah. Not the is it possible? Isn't it possible that even white wine creates a stain? That's that one that would be like. I can't leave the. I can't leave. Right. You wouldn't need a cleaning service. You wouldn't say I'm not leaving. Okay. So let me t- let me mention to you a Gemara in Baba Kama. The Gemara in Baba Kama says. Um. Here's the Gemara Babakama that, in a way, is quite powerful. Yeah. All right. So here's the Gemara Babakama. You can see it up on the board. It says, Adam Muad Olam, the Gemara says. Gemara says in Babakama, it's a Mishnah that a person is called a Muad. Now, that term is borrowed, and again, am I, are, are we getting, I hope, again, you tell me if I'm moving too slow, or if I'm going exactly right in the pace. Is this too slow, or is this a good pace? Okay, the term Muad is an animal term. We know there's a difference between different types of animals. An animal that has a habit of goring is called a muad. Okay? You might have heard about that. Again, it's the same place in Shamos, in, in Parshas Mishpatim, the same as basic area. An animal is normally considered docile, but if it turns out that the animal has a history, we call that a shor hamuad, an animal that we have testimony about that he is definitely prime to do damage and you should don't even take him into the into the public domain. Uh, put a bunch of bits and, and chains on that person, on that animal. That's, that's those are the psukim about and therefore we give a person a discount on watching his animals until they show a tendency. Normally we consider domestic animals docile, we don't consider them dangerous and to hurt people, but if it's happened a number of times, then we already say that is the nature of the animal, and then we make you pay the complete amount of damage whatever your animal does. That's the halacha in, 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 the, in the psukim. A human being, however, is different than his living animals that he's responsible for. The Mishnah says a human being is a muad la'olam, meaning whatever the situation is, there's no discount, there's no dispensation for the actions of a human being. It says, "Bain b'shogeg, bain b'mezid." Whether he didn't, whether it was accidental, whether it was malicious, of course, whether he's awake or whether he's asleep, whatever a person does, and we have a, a pasuk that proves that petza tachas petza. There's no such thing as a rhetoric flourish in the Torah. The Torah says, and the Torah says you have to pay, and it says, it says pay uh, for every break, for every break in the regel. Get, we get the point. Why do you have to say petza tachas petza? So from Chazal have a tradition that this teaches us that even though you might say, come on, I, 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 it's an ones. I didn't mean it. I was forced into it. There were other factors. Human beings are always responsible. So that is the Gemara Babakama 
that a person is, is responsible for damages. So, therefore, as, the, as you can see here, from a Sadr Kedushan, who damaged the wedding dress, we shouldn't even care about whether he's getting paid or not. A person is a muad v'olam. An Adam is muad v'olam. Now, remember the case I told you before about the person not watching the, the, the bag. He didn't damage the bag. He allowed the bag to get stolen, right? Or Mrs. X who comes into the house and lets the animals escape. But here, there's an actual, even though I didn't mean to spill it. Okay, was it your hand? It was coming out of your hand, and therefore you did it. That's what the Gemara seems to say, that human beings are different, that that's the ultra-type responsibility we have to have. Don't say it wasn't you. Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't mean it. It was an accident. We're so easy. It comes, so, it comes off our tongue so easy. And yet, the Mishnah is telling us not that way. The Mishnah is telling us, no, human beings, you've got to be so careful about your interactions. Don't say, well, I didn't mean it. It was you. So you, you have to pay. Now, um, how are we supposed to take that? So if that's true, then obviously he has to pay. Now, it's interesting, in this Mishnah in Baba Kama, about Adam Muad Olam, there's a machlokus about what does the mission mean when it says ones? Literally, it sounds like, and this is what the Ramban says, Nachmanides, what about if you're walking down the street and a huge wind picks you up, right? Just like you see, like, you know, a certain, and, and like Mary Poppins, you get transported onto top of something, right? Of course, Mary Poppins could guide herself with her, with her umbrella, but here's, oh no, I'm, I'm being picked up by this wind. Oh, stop it, stop it. And then you fall on somebody else's objects and break them. Right? There's no nobody else was nobody else was uh, pulling the fan. It was part of the wind, and the wind picked you up and you couldn't stop yourself and you fell on something. So the Ramban says you'd be chayiv. Adam would lolam. It's not my fault. You know what? That's what it is. <laughs> That's the cost of being a human being in this world. <laughs> God gave us greater intelligence. He gave us control of the planet. And part of the control of the planet is when these things happen, you got to pay for them. Where else should the payment come from? God's not going to pay for it. You need to pay for it. That's the Ramban's opinion. Now, Tosos disagrees with the Ramban. Now, Tosos is not one person. Tosos is actually a school of rabbis and, and, and they wrote commentary uh, on the Talmud. But let's uh, for for just to make it for to make it easier in explaining, a machlokus Tosfos and the Ramban. What is Tosfos's opinion? Tosfos says the word ones doesn't really mean ones. So the word ones does not mean actual ones. It means an ones that is similar to. Here we go. Find Tosfos here. This. Tosu says that the Torah obviously doesn't mean the Ramban's case of a, of, a, of a huge wind that picks somebody up and drops you on something. It can't be. It means something beyond regular negligence. I know Tosu says you're going to tell me the literal words say something else, but I've got other sources, Tosu says, that, that contradict that. Besides this Mishnah, there's other places. 
Let me just give you an example. One of the places that the, the Tosfus shows you that this can't mean a true ones, despite the words, is from the fact that the Gemara says, the Gemara says the following. The Gemara says that if a person um, gives meat to an expert butcher, and that uh, 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 an animal to an expert butcher to shecht and prepare, and the butcher was had a tremendous record. The Gemara says that if the the butcher who works on that and it turns out he somehow but, he butchers the shechita, he actually doesn't do the shechita correctly, or some other problem. The person could say, "Look, you know, this was I, I can't tell you what happened, but it, this never happens to me." So the Gemara says the butcher is not responsible to pay because it's an ones. So the Ramban, so Tosfa says, you see that here, you know, similar to our, it's a case where, come on, you can't blame me. I know Odamud Lolam, but there's a limit. Similarly, Tosfa brings another proof. Um, his other proof is from the following case. Gemara says, yeah, sure. Yes. That if I bring my meat to an expert butcher because I'm relying on his expertise, and he messes up, he's fired, or distracted, or not that he's no, we can't we can't pin it down to some distracting element. He did the job the way he always does, and yet it turns out when we we check it and we find that it's still not good. In other words, if, if, if you could show that he was distracted or tired or that he was actually, then he wasn't doing his job. But if he seems to have done it correctly and, and, and he's got the training and it's not like he's taking a job that he's not trained to do and he does it, you cannot claim damages against him. That's what the Gemara says. It says, it says Uman Tabach Shekil Kel, uh, a butcher or, or slaughterer who it turned out it wasn't correct. In other words, a person who wasn't trained, you can assume that the reason why it came out the way it did is because he lacked training. But a person who was a qualified expert and is known to do this, even though your situation, it sounds unfair, but Tosfus right, says this is an example of some sort of ones that crept in, and you're not responsible for that. Right? Unless you could show, oh, you must have done something wrong here. Look, I did it the way I do it all the time. I do hundreds of them every day. I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm considered the best butcher in, 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 in Poughkeepsie. And, and, and look, <laughs> the Gemara says, okay, you, it, that is beyond the pale and you can't claim damages. So Tosfa says, it must be that there's a limit. Ones doesn't really mean ones. Ones means maybe something like, you know, I turned around and was gone a minute ago and then something happened. But something that's, that, that's some sort of force that comes in, for example, let's say somebody pushes me from behind while I'm holding the wine cup, you wouldn't have to pay. So according to Tosfos, right, to, according to the way Tosfos is explaining things, you're responsible, but only up to a certain point. So therefore, um, let's assume right now that he wasn't paid, Rabbi Kamenetz. If Rabbi Kamenetz wasn't paid, 
based on being an Adam, it depends. If you say, let's, 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 let's speak it out the way uh, a, a, a Dvar Torah will be spoken out. According to the Ramban, whether he's paid or not, the rabbi is responsible. Because a man is responsible for any actions that come through him. Being picked up by the will-o'-wisp and being thrown onto uh, 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 some objects and breaking them would make you responsible. So, for sure, the fact that somebody nudges you and pushes you at the wedding, you're also responsible. Okay. The second, that would be according to Ramban. According to Tosos, however, look, look on the video. I didn't, I was holding it. Somebody pushed me. And just like the, the expert butcher doesn't have to pay, he wouldn't have to pay as well. So, how is this relevant to actual halacha? It's interesting that the Shulchan Aruch as you know, we talked about that, I think, last time. Remember, I got into what the Shulchan Aruch was, and what, did I do that? I don't remember. I was planning it anyway. But the Shulchan Aruch, of course, was written by Rabbi Yosef Cairo. Rabbi Yosef Cairo was a Sephardi. And Rabbi Yosef Cairo, Paskins like the Ramban, that a person is a muad le'olam, even if it's an ones gomer. Even if it's something beyond, like he couldn't control it, it happened through you, through your agency, you have to pay. Right there in the Shulchan Aruch, Rav Moshe Israelis, he's the Ashkenazi Rav, who, interesting, I heard from Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Tzatzal, that sometime in the, in the mid-16th century, the idea arose, let's make a, a, a compendium of law so people will know what to do. There's been so many opinions, we need to come up with a Shulchan Aruch to direct us to what we, how we should follow the law, because, so, Rabbi Yosef Cairo had the idea among the Sephardim. When Ramosha Isserlis, the Ashkenazi, heard about this, he said, "I guess I can stop my work. I was thinking of writing my own, but you know what I'll do instead? He, he's calling his thing the Shulchan Aruch. I'll call my sefer the Mapa. The Mapa, of course, is the tablecloth. In other words, he's got the table, and he did most of the heavy work." But you know what? It's not complete, especially for the Ashkenazi, Ashkenazim. So that's why, instead of writing a counter book, he said, I want to write a book that sort of helps him, but gives our side of the story. Now, Cairo, for his, uh, to, to be honest, said, I took care of the Ashkenazim because uh, I included some Ashkenazim here because I, I built my halacha on three major, uh, three major poles. Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, Yitzchak Alfasi, the Rif, and the Rambam. Two out of three always win. Those are the three biggest of the last 400 years. That's Cairo's approach. I'm not inventing it. I'm just uh, exploring the Jewish law, and two out of three rabbis, the two, three rabbis win, and that's why this could be the book for all Judaism. Well, Israelis said, hang on. You're stacking the deck. Because Rambam and Rif always go together anyway. So you've, in most places, you've got Jewish law according to the two, and they happen to be what we call the Sephardic world. Now, it's true, you got the Rush, but uh, the Rush, as we know, started off in Germany, then he went to Spain. But what about all these other Ashkenazi psukim that we have? The world of the Tosfos and others that you've sort of ignored, Cairo. And that's why whenever he feels Cairo has erred, what he does is he inserts 
the Psak, what he understands to be correct. So this way, when you read a Mishnah Bura or the Shulchan Aruch and its original, you'll find, well, here's Cairo, and here in other letters is Israelis. Now, for us, as has as been known, I don't know, any Sephardim here? Anybody from Sephardish? Okay. We Paskin like the uh, like the Ramah. The Pasuk says, Ubenei Yisrael Yotzim Biyad Ramah. <laughs> right? That's what it says in parts of Beshalach. It's a play on words. How does the Ramah Paskin? Like Tosos. Which means, an Ones, a real Ones, you wouldn't be Chayef for. Only for an Ones where we could sort of blame you a little bit. But if somebody pushes you from the back, you wouldn't be Chayef. So what was the wedding? Was it a Sephardic wedding? Or was it an Ashkenazi wedding? Okay? So if it was, if it was a Sephardi wedding, so then, everybody here, even the, the Rabbi Kamenetz will change him uh, to Rabbi Ben Chaim, right? If he would come in and he was uh, a Sephardi and everything was Sephardic there, then the Psach should be like the Beit Yosef, like the Rabbi Yosef Cairo says in the Shulchan Aruch, that autumn would alone, it shouldn't even make a difference whether the rabbi was being paid or not, and the rabbi would have to pay. If, however, we... Even if the rabbi was an Ashkenazi who was called to the wedding, especially if it's an Ashkenazi wedding, you can say, we paskin like the Ramah. And according to the Ramah, he holds like Tosos, that it has to be an own that, an ones, that, that you couldn't really be... You couldn't stop how could he stop the guy in the back from pushing him? And, and, and right? He can't be, he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. So according to the Ramah, the rabbi would be potter. So in Ashkenazi chasna, the person would be potter. So that could really be one way to deal with it. One last thing here. And that is, getting a little bit back to what Brooke was saying before, um, is there perhaps a way uh, to, like for example, um, I'll just end with this. The Ramban knew about Tosos. Remember the case of the butcher? The Ramban knew about the case of the butcher. The Ramban says that case is totally different. Let's think for a second why the Mishnah says a person's always responsible for his actions. The reason is, as I said, you're a human being. And you know that humanity is a social, that's what it is about, a social society. We get in our car, we walk to work, we drive to work, we realize there are people around us. And you can't say, I was distracted by the cell phone. I was distracted by this. You are responsible. No such thing as real accidents. However, that's because who told you to get involved with someone else and watch yourself and know what your limits are between someone? But when Ramban says, when someone gives you their object... So then we could say, were you negligent or not? When I bring you into my domain and give you something to work on, it might be counterintuitive, but it's actually, you, you have less responsibility. You hear what I'm saying? Now, if you're walking down the street and there's a stranger and, and, and you didn't watch what you were going and you bump into something, all right, we can say, hey, don't you know what it means to walk in the street? That's what it means. Don't tell me, oh, it was so small, I didn't see that stuff, and, and because of that, I didn't know what was going on. Hey, that's what it means to be a human being, to know where the potholes are and to look and to watch the streets. But if I give you my money to work on, if I give you my object to work with, there, like the case of the butcher, 
I trusted you enough, so unless I can prove that you were uh, you were negligent, then I can't fine you uh, for what you did. Because I chose you to be involved with me. And there, the responsibilities are different. So once again, we could perhaps come up with an argument to say that even if you're a Sephardi, like in the Ramban's world, that you're responsible for all accidents, but that's different. Being picked up by a wind and being thrown onto uh, some object, I was out in the street, I got to realize when there's wind out there, I don't go out. But here, we hired the rabbi to be involved with, with us. So perhaps, just like the butcher, who can't be held responsible, the rabbi shouldn't be held responsible for what he was doing because he was asked to get involved and hold that wine and be close to those people. So so I, so I, maybe we can get the rabbi off the hook even at a Sephardic wedding, even if he's Rabbi Ben Chaim. However, I believe that there's a, a, a difference. Remember the butcher? The butcher was given the meat. What was the rabbi given that I gave the rabbi? I didn't give the rabbi the I didn't give the rabbi the dress. I gave the rabbi the wine, the cup. So let's say the rabbi is holding the cup and somehow the cup disintegrates in his hand or it breaks or something like that. Okay? Or let's say the wine spills out and this was like wine that they had from Abu Chatzera or whatever it was that there was like the most expensive or Chaim Kanyevsky wine, whatever. So then I could say, well, look, that's like the butcher. You gave him the material, but here the wine spills onto something else, right? I, 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 again, the, the, the case of the butcher would be limited only to the object that he was working on, which was the animal. If that animal comes out ruined, you can't claim against him because he's not just a guy on the street. He's a person that you trusted. So, Therefore, I think the, the Psach Halacha would depend on what sort of chasen it was, whether you could actually claim against the rabbi or not. So that's a, that's a, in brief, the, there's other questions here as, as well. Some people wonder, is a stain really a direct damage to the, to, to, to the, to the dress, right? The truth is the thousand, even if you want to say the rabbi is guilty, should he have to pay the thousand Shekel that 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 the Mr. Cleaning guy charged. It's very important to know that many times a damage is not always commensurate with the amount you paid to correct that damage. I was involved in a dintora um, where movers came into a house and pulled out a um, a refrigerator or something and scratched completely the the linoleum um, in, that, in that area. And at the time, the party, the injured party felt, showed us their, their bill for replacement. They could not find, and in other words, that linoleum area was ruined and it was impossible to find anything that matched that. They had to rip up the whole floor and redo it. Maybe this sounds familiar. They had to redo it with, with with brand new stuff. So the injured party wanted the movers, whoever it was, the construction guy or the movers, to pay for the cost of the floor, of all their costs. 
Now, in that it might sound, you know, Judge Judy or Judge Wapner or others, and, and might give that, might award that, but in Jewish Bezdin we do not, because what was the damage, right? True, you might have costs because of a damage, like Archosan and Kala, right? But that's only because she wants to go out there and dance around with her friends with this dress on that they had to call somebody which, which, that had that was able to come for this amount of $250. But normally, we look at damages and we say, what was this object worth before and what is it worth now? So let's say in the case of the house, and we'll end with this, we actually said a house was damaged, not a floor. This was this was part of the house. We don't look at every room separately. Yes, the movers damaged. What was it before they came into the house? How much was the house worth beforehand? Okay. How much would it sell? How much is it going to sell for less now that it has this right the fact that you wanted to change things right that, okay it's the damage to the house not now it's right so these are very important again this is just the tip of the iceberg and i hope again i didn't put you up in the clouds but these are some of the aspects of jewish law of how a bezdin works and you don't just produce this is what i had to pay you owe it to me we have to look and see, well, what was the real damage? Are you resp- Is it a damage? And how much, if anything, you'd be responsible to pay? Now, look, I know Brooke said we should have something that's somewhat uplifting. But to me, I believe a message about being concerned about our actions and how careful we have to be towards other people is a pretty strong message. Um, a lot of times we take for granted uh, our, our movements and our actions and, and, and we think people uh, are just forgiving of them. Yes and no. And I think when you learn these halachas, you realize what exactly is our responsibility and our responsibility towards other people. So I, I think it does give something that, that I hope um, makes us a little bit more concerned and careful uh, about things that we're doing. You know, my father, uh, who was a Holocaust survivor, used to say to me that, you know, when he uh, would be in the checkout, uh, he was incredible. Going shopping with him was incredible because he knew exactly what the cost of the objects were before we got to the checkout. And, of course, the woman or man who's ever doing the checkout would, you know, wasn't scanned at that time, you know, was putting it in. And my father would say at the end... You did it wrong. Check it again. I know what it is. And he was never wrong. And I would ask him about this. You know, because first of all, it was an incredible trick. He had it all in his head. Do we really care? Okay, so they were 15 cents off. He said, look, that's the principle. He says, pruta kamea. Doesn't make a difference. Yeah. It's not the. It's not that he loved money so much, although he had to survive on, on, on scraps. But the point is, is to know exactly what it is. You know, we we, we say, ah, who cares? It's not. It's important to have a sense. Be generous and be considerate. It's also important to know pruta kamea. This is something that doesn't belong to you. This is something that's not yours. This is something that you owe for. And I think that's. 
an important message. We sometimes forget about it in a very disposable world. We think everybody is mochel everything. I think it's, you know, and it's great if, if you can have that, but realize what it is that your responsibility is and have that type of cheshman. All right, we'll see you hopefully, Mirza uh, Hashem, Rishchidosh Of, right? We'll be back here. Hopefully, we'll get a, uh, hopefully we'll get a more of a, uh, a little bit of a bigger crowd. Okay, good, thank you. All right, we'll see you hopefully, Mirza Hashem, Rishchidosh Of.